hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to day 12 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge. It is Saturday morning, so we'll see what early birds we have up on the Saturday morning. Uh, so this is our first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host, and today we're continuing to talk about character development and the dreaded need for or not need for backstory and what do we do with this stuff. Um, Helping us decide, we've got two Grub Street Novel Incubator alums, and they both have debut novels coming out very soon. So Aubrey Lescure is a French-Chinese-American writer. She currently works as the deputy editor of Off Assignment. She's the co-author of Creating a Stable Asia. Her fiction and creative nonfiction have appeared in Guernica, WBUR, The Florida Review Online, Jellyfish Review, Entropy Magazine, Medium, and more. Her essay, At the Bend of the Road, which I have read and is fabulous, will be featured in Best American Essays 2022. And her stunning incubator novel named River East, River West is due out in 2024. Shupi Sunea was born in India. She is the author of the novel House of Caravans, which she also worked on in Incubator. Uh, and that novel comes out in June 2023 from Milkweed. Her work has been nominated for Pushcart Prize and published also in Guernica, McSweeney's Cognacetti, and the Michigan Quarterly Review, among others. Her writing has been supported by a National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellowship, a Massachusetts Cultural Council Fellowship, a Grub Street Novel Incubator Scholarship, and she was a Desai Fellow at the Jack Jones Literary Arts Retreat. She holds an MA in English from New York University and an MFA in Creative Writing from Boston University, where she was awarded the Saul Bella Prize. And she's currently in Hawaii seeking out a PhD. So it's 1 a.m. in the morning for her. And so for both these ladies, so Ob is also in Boston with me. Both of them plan to go right back to bed after they help us out. But that's okay, because they're with us right now, and they're amazing writers, some of the smartest people I know. So let's talk about backstory. What is it? What do you do with it? When does it become a problem? When is it useful to you? When might it actually be the storyline that you're supposed to be writing instead of the storyline that you are writing? Um, oh, let's start with you. What has been your experience with backstory and how you've had to deal with it? Yeah, so um, I'd love to tell a backstory about my novel Incubator Experience, where I was working on uh, my novel River East, River West, which initially had one timeline and one narrator who was a teenage girl growing up in Shanghai, circa 2007-2008, um, living with her mother, who out of the blue marries their Chinese landlord, and then they all have to live together. Um, and my initial manuscript, the one I'd been working on for quite a few years, was um, entirely focused on, on what happens next with this combined household. But there was a hint, a sense that the Chinese landlord and the mother had known each other in the past. So there was a hint of backstory, but um, it was told entirely through the perspective of the teenage girl. And um, she was kind of slowly unearthing morsels of the backstory. But I kind of hit a wall in the middle um, of the incubator program because I was realizing there was so much constraint uh, to what I could do with um, just one timeline and one narrator. And actually, the heart of the novel was also with what happened back in the 80s, back in the 90s, and the decades leading up to this 
marriage to this couple um, being reunited. So my backstory in this case became uh, an entire secondary timeline with um, another narrator. So the Chinese stepfather, uh, Lu Fang, became one of my one of my narrators, and I had two intersecting timelines. So I started developing thirty to fifty page chunks that started intersecting with the present day Shanghai timeline, um, and that became an absolutely integral part of my novel. And it's、absolutely. now completely unthinkable to、yeah. not have a second narrator.、Um, But I will say that it took a really, really high burden of proof for me to、um, make that backstory into like a full-on secondary story arc. I think it comes with a lot of risk and a lot of payoffs. But you are asking the reader to basically、um, drop out of, of one timeline and enter another, and the pacing you'd been working on for one timeline suddenly is. Um, in some ways, interrupted as the reader enters the pacing of the second timeline. So I think the burden, the justification for existence of、um, backstory as second timeline or second narrative is very high. But yes, it it can work in some cases. Yes, or even to work in backstory at all, because、um, you're basically you're essentially a, a breaking the the fictional dream that the that the reader has been involved in. So there's got to be enough payoff to be able to make that leap into another point of view, into another time. Luckily, these days we have quite a few novels that are doing multiple points of views, multiple times. So it's actually become very common, and people are getting more used to making those jumps. But the writer still has to really earn it. Yeah. How was your、um, Then working with your publisher, have you had to make change a lot of changes with the timeline? Have they questioned it?、Um, so it was really interesting because、um, my, I think my publisher, my editor, fell in love with that second timeline、um, that I added in much later on in the process, and I think that timeline. So in some ways,、um, we have we have honestly barely touched the big kind of. You know, structural pacing、um, uh, aspects of that timeline I added later on,、um, and I think、um, that one almost felt to me easier to write and more novelistic because I was already looking at I was already looking at my present story and my present timeline, and then I was kind of strategically building in、um, the secondary timeline in tandem with the first one, kind of. Reacting and interacting with a major arc、um, yeah. of the first first timeline. So I think in some ways, it's almost like it already had a guiding foundation. It already had a guiding curve,、um, and and that kind of made my my second timeline, second narrative, stronger、um, because it was already relying on a foundation. So we did most of the work with my. Teenage narrator and that first timeline that I had, you know, started the novel rough draft with,、um, because that's that's the initial story that I had created out of a vacuum, and actually was structurally much weaker than than the backstory I then turned into、um, the second story arc. Right. Now let's let's get clear with our terms. So backstory is usually it's usually not that important. It's just stuff that we feel that we need to include to make sense of what of the main. 
storyline of the of the main drama. And so oftentimes we write backstory. It can be summarized. It can be just an exposition. You can also write backstory and flashbacks, which are fuller scenes. Um, but sometimes if there is so much drama and so much story in the backstory, you might instead, and people keep saying, well, I want a scene of this. Well, I want a scene of this. You might instead actually need a whole second timeline, which is what Obe wound up having to do. And a whole, old, um, a whole separate point of view because her young uh, protagonist couldn't possibly get across the experience of her stepfather. Um, and so that the second timeline then becomes its own very important kind of present day storyline that you need to follow an arc of. Um, Shilpi, what was your experience in working with time? Shilpi had this dizzyingly beautiful, complex historical novel. Yeah, so I'll take a little bit of time to talk about backstory because the word itself is sort of a trigger for me because even before I got to the incubator, uh, the amazing Michelle, um, I was an MA, MFA student and I was producing these 35, 40 page stories that were basically 90% backstory. Um, and all my peers were writing these teensy weensy, you know, 10 page, six page, uh, you know, like flash fiction, like, you know, fireworks. Um, and somehow I got it into my head that, you know, uh, that story, uh, Hills Like White Elephants is some, some sort of an American standard that I just wasn't able to make for some reason. I thought there was something wrong with me. Um, so no. <laughs> I went into that. Yeah, so I went into like starting my novel with that baggage. Um, and the way that I conceptualized it, and this is many, many years ago, was these sort of bubbles um, of flashes of scenes that needed to happen that I thought, you know, this is what I want to write about. And, you know, in one flash, there would be the grandfather fleeing his burning uh, boutique because his neighborhood and the city now belonged to Pakistan. And then there's another scene where the granddaughter is being molested by someone she thought was her friend. And then there were these other scenes where the mother, like the middle um, generation, is falling in love with two different men and having children with them. So all of these bubbles of stories were sort of, I knew that that's what I wanted to write about, but I didn't know how to connect them by a narrative or how to juxtapose them. I did not have that kind of understanding and that was the work I needed to do. Um, at that time, my model, and this is something Hajin told us in our MFA program, that when you're writing a novel, you need an, a model that you, know, you copy, sort of copy the structure from or you know, borrow significantly from, you take their backbone and, and make it yours. So at that time, my backbone was The God of Small Things, which is a pretty ingenious novel when it comes to structure, because it does have that uh, parallel timeline. Um, I mean, it's it's very, um, it's not, you know, the story is not distributed uh, equally amongst those two, obviously, because a lot of the drama happens, most of the drama happens in 1969, and then the contemporaries just like a few pages just to kind of give you a breather from the intensity of 69. Um, so I use that model, but it was not the right model for me because the grandfather, the grandparent stories were again, just a few pages long, as you explained, Michelle, like they occur in summary form. Maybe there's like 
a nice scene but that's summarized so that was not the right model for me and then it took me years to finally find actually pachinko um yes taught me how to write history because and again pachinko is really really simple it does not have two timelines um but it does you know has it has this beautiful marriage of you know exciting plot and really heartfelt flawed characters um and she just slows way down and says you know I'm I'm telling you history and you're gonna sit and listen because it's beautiful um so that's how I kind of came upon the current um and the final (laughs) um structure for my novel which is the two parallel timelines um 75 percent of it is set in the 40s um, and I was able to discover all these characters that I wasn't even thinking about because I was just thinking of uh, the story in flashes as opposed to thinking of it as like a rich story in itself not just the backstory so amazing I'm so excited to see this novel again because I haven't seen it in a while um And so this is also the danger of feedback and workshop. And when you have only a few models um, put up there for you as kind of the gold standard. And when those models just um, are very uh, narrow and just don't fit what you are going to do. Um, And I guess there's no way around that as a young writer, because you are kind of looking at, well, what do I do? How do I do this? but really to trying to, to, do, to spread a wide net in terms of, of what you're looking for, in terms of um, what you can um, uh, uh, see and, and reading as widely as possible and, and trying to broaden your community as well so that you have other people that can kind of help you out with other models like that. Um, okay. We have one question. Can you talk about how to fit the backstory and timeline into the plot you already have? What did that process look like? Oh, do you wanna deal with that one? Sure, yeah. Um, I think I, I thought a lot about um, structure when it came to you know fit, fitting um, in the backstory in different timelines. And I thought a lot about uh, Shilpi mentioned parallel timelines, the sense of parallel or tandem, and a sense of interruption. So you are, I think the first decision um, you have to make pragmatically is when you are going to interrupt um, every every timeline to jump to the other one. And usually, and I think that deals with um, another question about transition as well. And I thought uh, sometimes of every every timeline chunk as something that could almost exist as a short story in terms of its rise and fall and structure. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, every, um, every timeline chunk by, by a different narrator has its own um, mini rise and fall mini arc um, that doesn't necessarily need to feel resolved by the end of it. In fact, having some kind of cliffhanger or you know um like big thing happen at the end can be can be a good way to have the reader kind of have it in the back of their head as they make the switch and kind of want to go back to it but you also have to be careful with not just leaving something um unresolved or find an interruption point where you haven't quite reached some kind of emotional resting point um and so and so it just feels sudden or incomplete um, and I think, so that's about interruption. And then when it comes to um, 
the tendum or juxtaposition, I also think about, you know, what are the rising and falling fortunes of, of my characters in these different timelines? And I don't want to have um, like a very kind of lighthearted section where one character's fortune is on the rise in one timeline. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the other timeline, it's the emotional climax and something terribly dark is happening. But then we go back to the light and happy section. I kind of worked it so that, um, you know, the character's fortunes were kind of on the rise and kind of falling um, in ways that felt kind of parallel yet juxtaposed, but that kind of gave me, and I'm sure it can be done in so many different ways, but I personally chose to use um, the parallel and tandem model. So, so that provided a useful kind of backbone for how to structure my second timeline, because I'm just thinking about, okay, what's happening in present day Shanghai? Um, is this character getting what she wants? Um, is her fortune rising and falling? And how can I have something that's interestingly parallel yet kind of juxtaposed in the 1980s version of China um, and Lu Feng, the, the stepfather story that kind of mirrors that while drawing out the contrast of how much China has changed. So that was kind of my guiding principle. Excellent, excellent. Shopi, how about you? So the original question was, um, how do you fit backstory and timeline into the plot you already have? And then I think that leads into the questions about transitions. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Michelle, you touched on this a little bit. I think there is a natural need for backstory or story. And I observed this uh, because I cut a lot out. <laughs> um, and then surprisingly enough, when this was like, I was jumping for joy with my editor was like, this character, I don't know what, what the deal is with her. And then I'm like, you don't know because I deleted the scene where you know, <laughs> this, like in her childhood, she has this traumatic experience. So I will be very happy to provide it back into the novel because originally I knew that it was going to be a part of it. So you have these instincts, right? Where you know that you need to tell a story here, um, whether it's back or, you know, there needs to be an arc you can you know talk about arts and the way that Og was talking about. Um, another way I think about it is contrast as well. Uh, contrast is a great way to create drama as well. Where you know in the you know the nineteen forties, for example, uh, track you have something very dramatic happen. So to cool things off, to have that contrast, you need to have um, something not as dramatic happen. And you kind of get a feel for where exactly you want to put the backstory in or your editor will be like, hey, there's something missing here. <laughs> and you know that, you know, that's where you can fit those uh, chunks in. So, yes, um, excellent. Um, Allison's asking, because Obe said it so smartly, what are the tandem and parallel models? <laughs> like, are they are they models that she can look up? Uh, I I just kind of made up those terms. I don't know if there's <laughs> official models for that, but I will say that when I was um, searching my novel and thinking a lot about all of this, I was reading uh, Rebecca McKay's The Great Believers. So, you know, if you're looking for an actual book model um, about how to think about two different timelines, two different narrators, where um, one timeline might feel like backstory, but actually that um, I do want to, 
talk a little bit more about the great believers because it actually the the backstory the 1980s timeline it, it's not the backstory it is the main timeline and yeah, the secondary timeline is um is actually kind of a jump forward it is in the future um and i i think it really it works um with, with two timelines and rebecca mckay in interviews discusses how she also wrestled with the decision of whether you know two different narrators and timelines um, were justified. And she really wanted to, um, you know, study the, the impact on, of time um, uh, on, you know, survivors um, of the AIDS crisis or, or family members. And so that's why she decided to have kind of that future jump forward um, timeline as a secondary one to supplement um, the main one, which really happens in the 80s and early 90s. So I think that's interesting to think about because you don't like the backstory timeline doesn't need to be about the past and about um you know like oh well it's the founding wound of this character and we spend you know the whole novel circling around this question and the backstory like it can also be um it can also be kind of a, a, a jump forward or a future or we we often talk about this in terms of frame narrative which um can also sometimes feel a bit formulaic or tricky, but I guess my point is that you don't strictly need to think about backstory as second timeline as, you know, something that happens in the past that right. is coming to aid your present timeline. It could actually be the opposite. Um, but, you know, I would recommend reading The Great Believers and breaking down exactly when uh, she chooses to interrupt every timeline and kind of mapping out. I did that. I like, drew a lot of, you know, mathematical waves and curves to study, um, you know, how she was creating parallels or tandems. And in that book, the rise and falls of the different characters, um, emotional states and destinies were kind of very much happening in tandem and in parallel. Um, and so that's, that's where I got my, my model for my novel from was kind of specifically that book. Yes, excellent. And so notice both of these writers um, found models um, and, and maybe they asked people for models, but they also needed to find a model that worked for them. And so there's so many books out there that are doing multiple uh, timelines, multiple point of view lines. And so I would just read as widely as possible to find possible models for you that give you um, ways to go about what you want to do and, and to read, to read many of them and you can combine all sorts of, because there's no one way of doing this, of course. Um, and I do think that we are just much more interested in these complex stories these days than the simple one protagonist, one timeline sort of book. Um, one thing I want to talk about in terms of transition is the idea of batons or that, or idea of pivot points. When you're moving between either doing a time jump or doing a point of view jump. And this can be very helpful at the very, uh, particularly when you're doing it at the beginning of the book, when your reader is most resistant to making those jumps. Once your reader gets into the book a little ways, um, they're basically in and they've kind of learned how to read your book. Um, and so they're like, okay, I know what the author is doing and I know what to expect. And actually I've seen books even at like the, the two thirds point play a lot of tricks on writers in terms of uh, point of view and timeline jumps because they know they have their readers anyway. Um, so, but what you can do for those early transitions is find um, 
It can be an image. It can be um, a person. It can be uh, uh, something that someone says. Um, like I've always hated you. And then you can have someone else say something similar when you make the jump. Um, that's a little, that's a little, not as interesting, but, but, but it could be, um, just, uh, or it could be, um, a, a piece of music, um, just something that acts like a baton, basically that one timeline or one point of view is basically handing a baton to the next. So we have a sense of consistency that gets us over the jump. Um, you can also think of it as pivot points. I think about um, a story by Virginia Woolf in which a character is actually looking at a leaf on a tree and she pivots to another point of view because the other point of view is also looking at the same leaf on the tree. Um, and it just helps us out so that we don't feel like, where are we? Where are we going? There is that some of that consistency there. And also to be um, very open to just lay out like, you know, across town, over in such and such and such, Stanley was walking down the road, just so we have a, again, that's a kind of pivot too, because it pivots us in place. Or two weeks earlier, just giving us those outright um, time placements in the text itself, I think can be very helpful. Um, and I also recommend uh, the book, uh, Thrill Me by Ben Percy. Uh, now he is writing much more commercial work, <clears throat> but he has a whole uh, uh, chapter on backstory that can be very interesting. He's, he's really against backstory actually because he works more commercial work, but, but I think it's interesting to look at. It's interesting to look at all of these possible ways of seeing what backstory actually is. Um, oh, and let's see, Shilpi, anything that's come up in the conversation so far that makes you think, okay, this is what helped me out. This is what um yeah no I think I, I I see what you're saying about transitions but I think the idea that worked for me was to have um you want to make each sort of timeline familiar you want to have you know like why a setting or why a character because the minute you say that phrase the reader knows oh okay now we're in the you know 2000s and um because here's this character again and he's still in bed waiting for his mom um which I kind of repeat that motif I guess that's kind of like a motif that you repeat and then in the other timeline say which is in the 40s you know there's all this chaos and then like even thematically like the reader knows oh okay I I read this motif I know where I am um so yeah so I think my editor kind of helped me with that uh, a little bit um and again, yeah, the longer paragraphs, I think one of you said that about, not paragraphs, I'm sorry, longer chapters, because I had somewhat short chapters that were in the present timeline and my editor was like, no, this needs to be a little bit longer, a little bit meatier because it's just not, um, we're not able to sink our teeth in it too much. So, um, right, we're not able to sit in it long enough before we're being even asked to move to the next. Um, cause that can be really jarring, really dizzying reading experience. So yeah, and I had yeah. that complaint from previous, uh, uh, editors who passed on my novel years ago, they were like, I'm getting whiplash reading this. <laughs> um, so 
clearly the fix was to sort of, again, sink down again. Like I keep thinking of Pachinko over and over again, because that's just my model of, you know, how do you, how do you slow down and how do you, you know, just describe setting, describe characters and not think about jumping to the next uh, pivotal historical moment. <laughs> and I think that's much more suiting for your style. You have a very lush, rich style. Um, so those shorter uh, pieces just don't quite suit your style. Another writer might be saying, well, this is the effect that I want. Um, and maybe we could make that work. Um, but for you, I think we did need to really sit in the historical moments <clears throat> and make it work. Okay. I need to get people to their desks. Um, everyone look for these novels coming up because they're absolutely stunning novels. So House of Caravans by Silpi Sunea um, comes out in June, 2023 and River East, River West by Obraith uh, Laskier. It really is too early in the morning. Comes out in 2024. Um, tomorrow, we're gonna talk about supporting characters with Nancy Crochier and Suzanne DeWitt Hall. And if you support what we're doing, please share, please find our podcast at 7am Novelist Podcast. Please follow along. That's very exciting for us. And you can also find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Thank you, everyone. Get to your desk. Get some good work today on this Saturday. And thank you so much, Ob and Shelly. It's wonderful to see you at whatever hour this is for you. Thank you very much. Good morning, Have you found everybody. What you lost? Have you lost what you found? For a love in the sand Like a leaf inside the wind And you go where it tells you to go But you never wonder why There is an